will be preaching tonight, and we look forward to what God has for us. And the Word of God is still the Word of God, is it not? And uh, we'll be in Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, perhaps uh, one of the most famous passages in all of Isaiah outside of chapter 53. And we're going to look a little bit at Isaiah's vision uh, before the Lord and uh, just try and glean some things that we can apply uh, to our life because the Word of God is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it will change you if you will let it. And my prayer this morning is that you will let the Word of God change you. Uh, Not things that I say, but things that God says in Scripture. And uh, I hope that's your prayer as well. Uh, Let's read Isaiah chapter 6 this morning, all 13 verses, and follow along with me as we read Isaiah, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in his prophecy to the nation of Israel, says this, In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory." And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes. And hear with their hearts, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men from far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth, and it shall return shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them and when they cast their leaves so the holy seed shall be the substance thereof would you pray with me father we thank you for the reading of the word of god and we know that you have something in it for each of us this morning this is the passage we've been led to this morning through much prayer and supplication you've brought us to this place we thank you for those that have darkened the door of our sanctuary this morning we pray that each one of them would lay aside their burdens, that they would lay aside the cares of this world, and that they would simply bask under the presence of the Word of God and the Spirit of God today. We pray that you would meet with us in a real way, that we would leave this place knowing that we have met with Thee, and that we would leave this place changed closer to Thee than when we came. We do pray that you would be with our pastor and his wife as they are away. Bless him as he stands, perhaps even this hour, in a Sunday school class to teach, and in the next hour to preach the Word of God. Use him as you used him so many times here to be a blessing to those people 
But we pray that you would be in our midst, and we thank you that you are an ever-present God, and that you can be both here and there in full power. We pray that you would just work through this testimony of Isaiah, of his vision of thee, and help us to gain a fresh vision of you today, that it may change our lives, that we may reach the world. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we enter in Isaiah chapter 6, in Isaiah's vision of the Lord, and he finds himself in the year that King Uzziah died. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. But I want you to catch with me what he said in verse number 5. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I want you to catch this next phrase and make note of it. He says, For mine eyes have seen the King. I was burdened by that this week as I was reading this passage, thinking, Lord, what is it out of this passage that you have for me this week? What is it that you have for me to give to these fine folks here at Kazadil Baptist Temple? And I came back to this verse and that one phrase, For mine eyes have seen the King. All of life is in vain unless we can answer with Isaiah and say, I have seen the king. And notice the capitalization of that verse. This isn't just any king. Perhaps some in here have had the privilege to meet a president of the United States or a prime minister of a foreign country. And while that is a great honor, the greatest honor that you and I could ever have is to see the king. And Isaiah had a vision that was so real in his life that he said, mine eyes have seen the king and it changed his life. And if you're here this morning and you're in need of a changed life, then see the King. If you're here this morning and you're living in the doldrums of life and you're caught up with the cares of this world and you're lost and you're frantic and you're frightened, then come see the King. If you're here this morning and God is your King and Jesus is your Savior, then get a fresh vision of seeing the King because Isaiah, after he sees the King, he answers the call and God said, Who will I send? And Isaiah says, Go! But he could have seen so many other things. In verse number 1, it mentions some facts that we ought not to overlook. It says, Isaiah, leading into his vision, says, In the year that King Uzziah died. And as we lead up to our main point of seeing the king, I want you to consider, first of all, the past. Isaiah could have been caught up in the past. You say, what about the past? Who was this Isaiah? Uzziah. Turn over with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 15. 2 Kings chapter 15, as we follow along with the historical record of the account of the kings of the children of Israel. And in 2 Kings chapter 15, we see his name given as Azariah. In verse number 1 of 2 Kings chapter 15, it says, In the twenty and seventh year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah. This is our Uzziah from Isaiah chapter 6 son of Amaziah, king of Judah, to reign. Verse number two, 16 years old was he when he began to reign, and he reigned two and 50 years in Jerusalem. Now, I'm no math major, but I think that's 54 years. That's a long time. You say, Isaiah could have been caught up in the past. What past? The past 54 years of his nation that had been under the same ruler, do you think there was some stability in the fact that they had the same ruler? Let's continue reading. 
And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Uzziah, in an, for the most part, was a good king. And Isaiah could have been caught up in the past as he looked in this year that Uzziah died and thought, we're in trouble now. The things that have been staples in our life are gone for 54 years. This king had reigned. He, he was a good king. He did right. 2 Chronicles 26 also recounts for us the rule and the reign of King Uzziah. But here in 1 Chronicles, uh, or, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 15, we see uh, that he did right. He sought the Lord. Turn over, if you would, to 2 Chronicles chapter 26. We'll see some other things that Isaiah could have focused on about the life of Uzziah. He could have been focused upon the past in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 in verse number 5. It says this of Uzziah, He sought God in the days of Zechariah who had an understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Boy, we could camp there for a while, couldn't we? Seeking the Lord, the value of seeking the Lord. And King Uzziah, for the first part of his reign, under the stable years of the nation of Israel, sought the Lord. In verse number 6, he went forth and warred against the Philistines and break down the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabneth and the wall of Ashdod and built the cities of Ashdod amongst the Philistines. And God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians that dwelt in Gubal and the Mehemnims. And the Amorites gave gifts unto Uzziah and his name spread abroad, even to the entering in of Egypt, for he strengthened himself exceedingly. This man, this king for 54 years had provided stability to the nation of Israel in such that he had defeated their ongoing enemy of the Philistines. We know King David warred against the Philistine giant of Gath, Goliath, and continually that nation to the southwest of the nation of Israel continued to pester the children of Israel. And here King Uzziah was a great champion over their ongoing perpetual enemies. And now he was gone. Isaiah could have dwelt upon the past that this one who had kept them safe from their invading enemies was now gone. Not only was he a defeater of the Philistines, he was a builder. Continue looking in chapter 26, verse 9 about Uzziah, the things that Isaiah could have dwelt on. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the turning of the wall and fortified them. And he also built towers in the desert and digged many wells, for he had much cattle both in the low country and in the plains, husbandmen also and vine dressers in the mountains and in Carmel, for he loved husbandry. This man was profitable. He supplied for the nation of Israel both by way of building towers to fortify uh, their cities, but also to, to raise cattle and to, to be a husbandman and to provide for them. And now Isaiah stands up in Isaiah chapter 6 and he says, Uzziah has died. And all the things that were stable in the life of Isaiah were gone. Have you ever found yourself in a place where everything that you had counted dear, everything that you had built your life upon was all of a sudden eradicated? Where it was gone? And you wake up one morning and say, God, what am I to do? And I don't know that Isaiah was in this frame of mind, but I could certainly see myself being in such a frame. After 54 years of having a good king, after 54 years of looking back and seeing a man who had protected them, a man who had provided for them, and all of a sudden he stands up and says, in the year that King Uzziah died, 
I can imagine the frame of mind of the children of Israel. They've just lost their leader. He was a builder. He was an innovator. Sadly, chapter 26, verse number 16. It says this of Uzziah. When he was strong, his heart was filled, was lifted up to his destruction. For he transgressed against the Lord his God. And he went into the temple of the Lord to burn incense upon the altars of incense. And Azariah the priest went in after him. And with him fourscore priests of the Lord that were valiant men. And they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not to thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord. But the priests, the son, to the priests, the sons of Aaron that are consecrated to burn incense, go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed, neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord. Uzziah tried to do something that God had dedicated for the priests to do. You may recall in your history of the nation of Israel, Saul had a little bit of the same issue when he offered sacrifice. A man of war was not supposed to do that. David wanted to build the temple, but he could not because he was a man of war. And here Uzziah, a man of war, was not supposed to come in and take the role of the priest, but he got proud and he lifted himself up. And the Lord struck him with leprosy. And he died a leper. And it's in this frame of mind that Isaiah stands up in Isaiah chapter 6. And he begins to share with the nation of Israel who was weeping over the loss of their king. Who was weeping over the loss of their protector. Who was weeping over the loss of their stability. And yes, he had died a leper, but to them, they thought of all the great things that he had done. They thought of all the stability that he had provided. All the provisions he had made for them from a military standpoint. And from an economical standpoint. And from an ecological standpoint. These were all the things that the children of Israel had found themselves missing. And Isaiah could have stood before them and he could have looked at the past. He could have looked at the present, secondly. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 5. Let's discover a little bit of the present that Isaiah found himself in. Isaiah chapter 5 is famous for the six woes of the nation of Israel. Isaiah and the Lord bemoaned the character of and the apostasy of the children of Israel, those who knew and understood the true Jehovah, the one true God. And yet in Isaiah chapter 5, we see the first woe. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, of a truth, many houses shall be desolate, even great and fair without inhabitant. So what is Isaiah saying of the children of Israel? They were so caught up with greed. It says in verse number 8 that they joined house to house and lay field to field. They bought everything around them, every piece of property that they could get so that they could gain, that they could have goods and cattle and, and grain and all of these things that they thought were important. The children of Israel at this time were greedy and covetous. And the Lord said, woe unto them because of their attitude. Look at verse number 11. What else about the nation of Israel could Isaiah have focused on? Woe unto them, verse 11, that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink that continue until night, till wine inflame them, and the harp and the vial and the tabre and the pipe and wine are in their feast, but they regard not the work of the Lord, 
neither consider the operation of his hands. Here was a society that was given over to the consumption of alcohol. Not only to the consumption of alcohol, the drunkenness and the partings and the revelings that went along with it. And God looked at them and through the prophet Isaiah said, Woe unto you. This is the status of your life. The status of a children that had been called out, that had been set apart by God to worship Him as the one true Jehovah. And He looks down upon them and He sees, perhaps as He saw in the days of Noah, the drunkenness and the revelings and the partyings. Sure, they were having a good time. Sure, they were enjoying life. But we know, as Scripture reminds us, there is but pleasure in sin for a season. It's fun for a little while. And then you have to pay the cost. We know the ultimate cost of sin, and Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. And Isaiah could have focused upon the ungodly state of his nation. He could have focused upon their greed and their covetousness. He could have focused on the drunkenness and the partying. And I imagine, as a man of God, if he was to stand there and look around, just the amount of depression he would have to deal with in looking at how awful his fellow's brethren were. How awful his fellow countrymen were. How awful the ones that had claimed to serve the Lord God Jehovah had allowed their life to slip into the vileness of sin. And he could have looked at the drunkenness and the partying. He could have looked as how they were tied up in sin in verse number 18. The third woe. Woe unto them that draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin as it were with a cart rope. They were so linked to sin that everywhere they went it followed them around. They were towing it with them. They were never separated from their sin. They were so immersed in their greed and their covetousness, their drunkenness, their revelings, their partyings. They were so tied up in sin. Then they began to mock God in verse number 19 that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw nigh and come that we may know it. They were daring God to work in the midst of their rebellion. Does that not sound like the nation that we dwell in today? Revelings and drunkenness and partings and greed and tied up to sin. Everywhere you look, you see sin. And Isaiah could have been burdened down by seeing the present. He continues in chapter 5 as he looks at the fourth woe. In verse number 20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. They had a mixed up moral compass. What they thought was good was really evil and what they thought was evil was really good. Again, it's like looking at a mirror in America in 2023. Woe unto them and woe unto us. They had a failing moral compass. They were self-assured and proud, much like their king was. Verse number 21 in the fifth woe. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. They said to Isaiah, what's the problem? We know what we're doing. We've got this under control. Self-assured and proud. He doubles down in woe number six, and he mentions their drunkenness again in verse number 22. Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine and men of strength to mingle strong drink. Previously, when they were drunk, they partied. But here, when they are drunk, in verse number 23, it says, They justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. They had corrupted the justice system. They were stealing 
through the justice system. There was a corruption, there was bribery, there was drunkenness. This was the society in which Isaiah, this man of God, this prophet of God, found himself living in. And when we approach Isaiah chapter 6, he could have looked at the past in Uzziah and thought about all the stability that they had that was now gone. He could have looked at the present and looked at the nation of Israel and just the quagmire of sin that he was living in and the drunkenness and the revelings, the parties, the proud, the self-assuredness, the corruption of justice which is American 2023. But he didn't. Verse number 5 of Isaiah chapter 6. When I am tempted to look at the past and play the what-if game that the devil so desperately wants me to play, when I am tempted to look at my surroundings and think, what a mess we're in. And we are in a mess. And I could get stuck. Paralysis by analysis, I tell my piano students. When you overthink it, you get stuck. And I could get stuck in the present. Just how awful our world is. Or I could do what Isaiah did. And thirdly, I could see the king. And for the next few minutes, I want to look at the king and the vision that Isaiah had. In verse number 5, he said, For mine eyes have seen the king. How did he see the king? Verse number one, he saw him in his position of peace. Look with me at Isaiah chapter six, verse number one. In the year that Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord. What's the next word? Sitting. How do you think the children of Israel felt the year that Uzziah died? Probably a little anxious, full of turmoil. What's going to happen now? And Isaiah sees a vision of the Lord. And he's sitting. I don't think God was worried about it. I don't think God was at all concerned that Uzziah had passed away from an anxiety sense. I think Isaiah sees God sitting in a position of complete control, in a position of complete peace. And though we live in the midst of trials and tribulations and turmoils and storms and we live in the midst of drunkenness and parting and reveling and and sin and immorality we have a god who is seated on a throne he has never lost control he never will lose control and isaiah sees him sitting in his position of peace he sees him sitting on a throne in verse number one in his position of power. Never once has God been out of power. In 400 years, as we finish Isaiah, 400 years after the final captivity of the children of Israel to the city of Babylon, there would be silence. But even in the midst of that silence, he's still on the throne. So you may go through a dark time when you may feel like God is not speaking to me. I'm just not hearing from Him. Take heart from what Isaiah saw that He is still sitting on a throne. He is still in charge. He is still there today. Christ is seated next to Him interceding on our behalf as we read in the book of Hebrews. But Isaiah chose to see the King in His position of power. He saw Him also in His position of preeminence. Look how he describes Him in verse number 1. 
sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. I feel, church, that sadly in our American way of Christianity, we have lost the respect for God. I do have a friend that is closer than a brother, and it is Jesus. But he is also my king. Isaiah would see these seraphims in verse number 6, and I read it uh, as I was studying this, that as they had six wings, you'll notice that with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet. They were unworthy to be in the presence of God, and, and the foot in, uh, in, in culture at the time was it, was, it was rude to show someone your feet. It was rude to show someone the bottom of your foot. And so they covered this part, which was their greatest portion of humility, their feet. And so in humility, they were twice covered. They were covered with their head and they were covered at their feet. And I'm afraid, church, that we have lost the humility that we need before God. When we come in like Uzziah did, high and lifted up of our own right with our pride and thinking, well, I can do this and I can do this of my own will and ambition and I can accomplish this for the Lord. And yet here we see in these seraphims, these angelic creatures standing before God and two thirds of their attitude was that of humility. And with the other two, they flew. How cool would that be? Maybe we'll get to do that one day. I don't know. But Isaiah saw Christ saw God in his preeminence high and lifted up and he had a train he had a train that filled the temple this was no little train this was an entire train that that filled the temple his entire presence filled this entire temple where Isaiah was seeing him in his vision we serve a God who is large and he is almighty and he is powerful and that's who Isaiah saw and when the devil tempts me to look into my past and see all the things that I failed or things that I think I could build upon and when I'm tempted to look at the present and the quagmire of the things around me and the way of the world and the the pit and the just the desecration of what people have done to the to the Lord and to the word of God and I can get so caught up in those things but I need to come with Isaiah to the foot of the throne and see a king in his place of peace and power and preeminence but we can't miss this in verse number three he saw a king in his position of purity one of the seraphims cried unto another and said holy 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 is the Lord of hosts the whole earth is full of his glory. Peter admonishes us in his epistle, Be holy, the Lord said, for I am holy. In church, we must never lose sight of God's position of purity, the holiness of God. And it's because of God's holiness that he demands a sacrifice because sin cannot dwell in the presence of God. And God so desperately wanted to spend all of eternity with his creation and Adam and Eve fell and that made them separate from God and God could not have oneness with man. And so God shed the blood of an innocent lamb as a picture of the future shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. And why did he do that? Because the wages of sin is death. But... 
the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And if you're sitting here today thinking, I don't understand a thing he's talking about. I don't understand what Isaiah was looking at. I want you to get this, that God loves you even in the midst of your sinful state, even in the midst of 2023 America. God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bleed and die on a cross 2,000 years ago. And Christ bled and died because sin must be paid for. As Romans tells us, that wages of sin is death. But God gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth him should not perish. And Jesus buried three days death. He rose from the grave and he conquered sin and hell in the grave. And what does that prove? That God had accepted the sacrifice of a perfect, holy, sinless son of God. And then he turns and he offers to you and to I salvation. Romans says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. You say, I'm stuck in my sin and I don't know how to get out. I feel like I'm Isaiah and I could look in the past and I could see all these things that have happened in my life or I could build my life on the good things of the past or I could be undone by the bad things of my past or I can look at my present situation and I could feel lost and overwhelmed as the psalmist said, like a man in a pit caught in the mire and the clay and the muck. And how do I get out of this? David continued in that same psalm and he said he stretched out his hand and God lifted him up and he brought him out of a pit. Not because anything that David had done, but because it was a work of the Lord in an act of grace. David, through faith, reached out and grabbed that hand and God brought him out of a pit and he set his feet upon his rock and he established his goings. If you're looking for goings to be established, if you're looking for direction in your life, can I say this like Isaiah, you can find it in the presence of the king. He saw him in his position of purity. He saw him in his position of presence. I want you to look at this in verse number 3. The seraphim said and sang, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. There is not a place on planet earth, there is not a place in the universe that we could go and God is not there. You can run as far as you could possibly think. And when you get there, God will be there. Not only will God be there, He will have been with you through the entire journey. Because Isaiah testified that the whole earth is full of His glory. We say in biblical terms that our God is omnipresent. He is always everywhere. And so we can stand here today in eastern time zone of Goshen, Ohio, And our pastor can stand in central time zone of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and God is there. And God is here. And God is with the Lehmans in Thailand, and God is with the Kuzels in Africa, and God is with the Kashners in England, and God is with the Hodnets in Scotland, and God is with the Harrises in Mexico. The sun never sets on God's presence. The presence of God, the seraphim saw it, and they said, every Space is filled with His glory. So I want to remind us this morning, church, that when we see the King, you will be reminded of your condition. Look at verse number 5. Isaiah has a realization here. Standing in the midst of the King, the posts of the door are shaking at the voice of the seraphims crying, Holy, Holy, Holy. And he records for us, then said I, woe is me. Does that word remind you of anything that we read in chapter 5? Who was he describing in chapter 5? 
the lost, wicked nation of Israel. And I think it's really easy for us, church, to stand to the side and in our pride, like Uzziah said, well, yeah, I see them in their sin, but that's not me. I see them in their drunkenness and their partying and they're tied to sin and their mockery of God, their failed moral compass and their self-assuredness and their pride and their bribery and their corruption of justice. I see all that, but I'm okay. I'm a good person. And Isaiah comes and he sees God and he's reminded of his condition. He says, woe is me for I am undone. We talk about the six woes of Isaiah chapter 5, but we could add this as a seven because Isaiah was no more worthy to stand in the presence of God than they were. He saw his condition. He was just as unclean as they were. I am just as unclean as they are. But I'm so glad it doesn't end there. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah's problem was his talking. I can relate to that. Whatever was coming out of his mouth, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, we're told in Scripture. Whatever was coming out of his mouth, he was convicted of it. And he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah does not see himself separate from the nation of Israel. He sees himself just as guilty as they are. He sees himself under condemnation. And all of this because he has stood in the presence of the king. And as church, as we go out this week and we try and witness and evangelize and, and we share with people the good news of Christ, we ought to bring them into the presence of a king. Not just a God, but the God. The thrice holy God. You say, what is this word saved? What do I need to be saved from? Brother Ramos came and talked to the young people at Kids Crusade about being saved. And why do they need to be saved from anything? They need to be saved from the consequences of their sin because we are unworthy. We are unholy standing before God. And the wages of sin is death. And Isaiah stands before him and he realizes and he understands, I am unclean. Christian, when is the last time you stood before God and realized, I am unclean? You say, if, if I haven't experienced that lately, does that mean I'm perfect? I don't think so. That means I haven't been in His presence. Say, so when is the last time I was convicted of something? You say, I'm not like Isaiah chapter 5. I'm not like the drunken. I'm not like the partying. I'm not like the failed moral compass. But are you like Isaiah chapter 6? A man of unclean lips? A man undone? Isaiah saw his condition. But we also, when he sees the king, he's released from his iniquity. I love this in verse chapter, excuse me, chapter 6, verse number 6. He stands before and he says, Mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, Verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongues from off the altar. I read from a commentator that as we stand and we look at Isaiah's vision, and you can see this emphasized in the temple, the tabernacle first, and then the temple that God had the children of Israel view, we see 
the throne. The throne is for God. And the altar is for us. And the ultimate altar of sacrifice happened at Calvary. When Christ gave of himself willingly. And the seraphim flew unto him, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. I'm here to stand before you today and testify that the sacrifice that Christ made on the altar of the cross of Calvary is sufficient. What is it that the seraphim told him and is painting for us this beautiful picture? This has touched thy lips, this coal from the altar, and thine iniquity, what's the next word? Is. Now, earlier I wasn't a math major, and I'm not an English major. But is, is a state of being. Thine iniquity is taken away. And when God removes the sin through the sacrifice and the washing of the blood of Christ, it is gone, gone, gone. And you are, is, in a state of being, eternally purged. We don't believe in Armenian theology which says you can lose your salvation. Because if we could lose our salvation, then He was no more qualified to save us. Because He either can or He can't. And He can. And so when Satan brings up your past and wants you to focus on the past, or he wants you to even focus on the present, like the children of Israel, Isaiah could have focused on them, and he says, but you're this, and you can stand before him and say, the Word of God says, I'm purged. I don't have to live in the past. I don't have to live defeated because God has made me in a current state of existence purified if you've been to the altar. In the presence of God, Isaiah was released from his iniquity. He was no more unclean. But I pondered this and we'll finish. Isaiah's vision does not end here. And how great would it be if it just ended with him receiving purification? But in verse number 8, we've seen how when he saw the king, he was reminded of his condition, but then he was released from his iniquity and praised God for that. But beginning in verse number 8, he has a conversation with the Lord it says, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Isaiah, here am I. Send me. And he, this is the Lord, said, Go and tell this people. I have been to many a missions conference in my life, and I have heard many a message on Isaiah chapter 6. And I've heard many a theme, Here am I, send me. And we've sung the songs. But have we ever stopped to ponder? I hadn't. What did God tell him to tell them? He said, go. And we have missionaries in here tonight that are going today that are planning to go on deputation and go to the field that God has called them. And praise the Lord for those he has sent, those he has called and sent. But Isaiah had a very, very unique message. Verse number nine. 
Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their hearts, and understand with their heart, and convert and be saved. Wow. What was Isaiah supposed to tell them? You would think he would go and tell them, come to Jesus. Come understand the Messiah. Come understand God's love for you and the sacrifice that is still to come looking forward to Calvary. And yet he sends Isaiah to them and he says to them, tell them that you're going to hear, but you're not going to understand. And you're going to see, but you're not going to have any perception. You see, we've come to a place in the life of the nation of Israel, as we've read from their behavior in chapter 6, chapter 5, about their woes, that they had rejected God. For thousands of years, from Adam up until this point in history, 4,000 plus years, God had extended to them the hand of grace. He had given them a way of salvation, a picture of Christ in the flood and Noah in the ark. He had constantly reminded them of His love for Him in the battle of Gideon in the Midianites and how God had provided for them and He fought on their behalf. He told Joshua, Be strong and of good courage. The Lord will fight for you. And over and over and over and over He sent men to tell them who He is and how He loved them. And many of us have sat in church for our entire life and heard who God is and how He loves us. But Isaiah was sent to the children of Israel not to convey the love of God, but to say to them, if you want it this way, you can have it this way. If you do not want me to be your God, I will not be your God. Jesus will stand at your heart's door and He will knock... but eventually you won't hear him anymore. Because Isaiah is reminding us and telling the children of Israel, you can only reject God so many times before you can't make heads or tails. And for the next 400 plus years, they would not hear from God again. In fact, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 is quoted six times in the New Testament. One of the most quoted scriptures in the New Testament. And Jesus stood before the Jews in the Sea of Galilee and said to them, Your eyes have been blinded and your hearts dark. God did not make their eyes blind and their hearts dark, just like He did not harden Pharaoh's heart. He just simply removed His hand, His stay, if you will, and allowed them to continue along their chosen path. And church, if you're in here this morning and you have heard the gospel week after week and year after year, today is the day of salvation. Because Israel was losing their chance. And I would love to stand before you and tell you that life is all roses, a bowl full of cherries. But the truth of the matter is there is a world that is out there lost and dying and there will come a day when they will not hear the gospel again. 
There will come a day when they, like the children of Israel, will hear of Isaiah's journey to see a vision of the king and see the purification and the the justification that was offered to Isaiah. And he would come back and he would say to them, I saw the great king whom you have rejected. And their eyes were darkened. And in a mere 24 years, they would be in Assyrian captivity. But in verse number 13, their cities would be wasted, houses would be empty, the land utterly desolate, the Lord removed them far away. In verse number 13, but yet in it shall be a tent. I am grateful that throughout history there has always been a remnant of those that believe. And church, that's you and I today. We live in the midst of Isaiah chapter 5. And there would be a remnant. In a few years, Ezra and Nehemiah would come and they would bring back some from captivity. That prophecy of all of them coming back is yet to be fulfilled. We look forward to that day in the millennial kingdom. But Isaiah said, how long do I have to say this message? Joshua, aren't you glad that that's not the message God has called you to give? You're going to go give that message of hope, but there is a time if you reject Christ long enough You won't understand it anymore. You will be so lost in the ways of the world that somebody could give you the gospel. You might say, well, I'll do it another time. There might not be another time. You could walk out this door. You could get in your car and you could enter into eternity. Today is the day of salvation. And church, may we be urged to share the gospel one last time with those that we love, to share the gospel one more time with those that we meet, with those that we live with, with those that we work with. May we have experienced what Isaiah said, have seen the king in his position of peace, power, preeminence, purity, in his presence as his glory fills the entire earth. May we be reminded of our condition, but understand that He has released us from our iniquity through the sacrifice of Christ if we would but trust Him and believe in Him by faith. But may we be understanding of the warning that if we reject the King, we might not have another opportunity. I'm grateful as we close, just as a reminder by way of application. I want to encourage you Isaiah saw the king, but you know what? The king saw him. Aren't you glad the king sees you? He sent a seraphim over to Isaiah with a hot coal, and he purged him. And I want to remind you that in this journey called life, only seeing the king will make the difference. And church, my prayer is for you and for myself, for each one of us here, Lord, give me a fresh vision of the King. Father, we thank you for the